Welcome to the Dillweed Society podcast. My name is Max, and my favorite movie is All That Jazz. My name is Megan, and my favorite movie is Hoodwinked. What was Hoodwinked? Hoodwinked is, um, it has Anne Hathaway in it. I'm pretty sure it was made in 2006, and it's a great animated movie. Uh, It's a remaking of the, like, Little Red Riding Hood. Oh, my God. Uh, And I would listen to it all the time with my siblings. Well, not listen to it, like, watch it in the car, long long road trips all throughout the midwest basically um and it it has this wonderful place in my heart and it has that guy who he does like all the voice acts of a ton of major characters in like disney and pixar movies he was like cronk and emperor's new groove oh and my god you know what i'm talking about yeah i know exactly who you're talking yeah, about he's one of the major characters he's so funny yeah with patrick warburton yeah he's in that um there's some really fantastic voice actors in there <laughs> and it is one of the funniest movies even as adults we we go back and watch it and like still laugh there's still jokes that we haven't haven't like realized yet so it's definitely like lifetime favorite this is of. a really gnarly animation style it is it's really it's it's something to behold also throughout the years since we were younger yeah i mean it probably was not as bad as it is now like in 2006. No, it was cutting edge. It looked 3D. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Do you want to say what movie we're talking about today? Yeah, today we're talking about The Glass Onion, which is the second um, version and what I guess will hopefully be a series of the Knives Out films. Yeah, do you know the story behind how this came out? No. So it was, it was uh, greenlit by um, Lionsgate, the company that produced the original Knives Out movie. And mm-hmm. then in the middle of that, Netflix bought the rights to two Knives Out sequels. Whoa, okay. So there is for sure going to be a, a third, third movie. One. Okay. Yeah. And I don't know. Like, after I learned that, I feel like that made the movie worse to me. Um, because the idea that, that like, any series or movie is going to become this, like, homogenous tube of content is very saddening to me. That seems to be, like, Netflix's whole model, though. Yeah. Like, find one good thing and then... Just and, turn it into infinite content. Yeah, just, like, grocery store shelves that you keep pulling from and there's never an end to the line. But I do you think that that affects the quality of, like... So if, if they get greenlit for, like, two more, let's say, do you think that that affects, like, any quality in the second one, knowing that a third one is for sure in the works or do you think it would have been better if they didn't know if they were going to get a third one so they just pour it all into the second one it made me look more harshly on the flaws of this movie because it made me think that those flaws were going to be indicative of the way that the series was trending um knowing that there was going to be another one yeah and i didn't know that there was going to be another one when we watched it but it was weird when we went to the theater to like see the big Netflix N on the screen, I think I like like turned to you and I was like, "What?" Because you're in a theater, and like I don't think I've ever seen the like don don like Netflix N showing up on a theater screen. Yeah, feels like weirdly, I don't know, Hollywood dystopic, <laughs> <laughs> like like two two realms crossing. You're like at home streaming and the in theater experience. There was a um, antitrust law about how film studios could not own movie theaters that was struck down recently. Oh, wow. Like in the past, like, five years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I've never thought about that as being an... I never, like, took antitrust. I'm a lawyer. I never took antitrust law, but um, my my old roommate does antitrust work for the government. Um, I... I want to like ask him about this now because of course it makes total sense that you wouldn't want movie theaters to be owned by production companies for sure. Um, they're, I kind of like to think about movie theaters as like libraries. I know they're not, but, (laughs) but you know, more or less showing like a wide variety of film from different production companies. Um, yeah. Wow. Okay. That's so interesting. Yeah. But that's, that's no longer. It was United States versus Paramount in Mm -hmm. 1948, uh, was a ruling that said that, uh, Basically, from what I remember... Oh, by the Supreme Court? Yeah, by the Supreme Court. Oh, that, wow. That uh, Paramount could not be... Could not have distribution and, like, production rights. But in 2019, 
it was struck down. The Department of Justice issued a two-year sunsetting notice for the Paramount decree in August of 2020, believing antitrust restriction was no longer necessary as the old model could never be recreated in contemporary settings. I am confused about their jurisdiction on that. I would have to read more about it. Because, like, an agency can't just be like, we don't want to enforce a Supreme Court ruling anymore. Like, there must have been some provision within the Supreme Court ruling that was like, unless XYZ were to take place, and then the DOJ being like, XYZ has taken place, so yeah. we're going to say, okay, interesting. But I think that it's it's interesting to see, um, like, movies that are produced specifically for online content being distributed uh, in theaters... Um, I have, I think that this actually was, it, it became a thing that like Disney has started buying theaters around uh, different places now that they are allowed to do that. Part of me feels like really grossed out by that, but I also get that there is like a huge normal person audience out there that would love to go to like a Disney only theater like that. That's like bringing Disneyland, Disney World to your suburb. Yeah. It's very frightening for like people who don't want to watch Marvel movies for the rest of their life. Yeah, yeah, or like Moana and Star Wars, and there's some, you know, there's good ones out there, but you can also see those in regular theaters. So in some ways, like, Netflix and uh, Amazon Studios are fighting against the man of, like, big Disney ruling all of the theaters. It's like eye-rolling my eyes as, like, far into the back of that. Like, this did not, this is not a David and Goliath situation. That is not being <laughs> mistaken. Also, how did this suddenly become a law podcast? <laughs> <laughs> That's... You're just like defaulting to talking about law. Yeah, in my prior podcasting life. <laughs> Do you want to read the synopsis for Glass Onion? I would love to. Oh, it's truly like one sentence. Okay. Detective Benoit Blanc travels to Greece to peel back the layers of a mystery involving a new cast of suspects. Did you think about how you made French onion soup tonight and we were going to be talking about the Glass Onion? I didn't think about that at all. <laughs> we cut up so many onions. Glass onion, glass onions would make a terrible French onion soup. That would be so much cutting. It would. I think fit more for machines than for humans. You could make, yeah, machined glass onion soup. Would it be good? Jury's still out. You let us know at home. <laughs> Go ahead and try it. <laughs> what do you think of that, that synopsis? It's very straightforward, which uh, I think is indicative of the movie as a whole, you know? Honestly, I think... It is distracting to me that the writer of the synopsis so clearly is trying to make a joke with the peeling back the layers <laughs> that it, it is actually like more about whoever wrote the synopsis than about the movie itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, that so we looked at the the movie poster before we went in, and you did a really good job of being like Mediterranean somewhere, blah blah blah. And you were right. But we thought Morocco, but it was Greece, which is actually... I think I said Monaco, actually. Did you say Monaco? Yeah. Okay. Very much closer. (laughs) Not that much closer. Is it not? Monaco's not that much closer than Morocco to Greece? Monaco is north Mm -hmm. and also a little bit. It's it's, it's like the bottom of France. So yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. Closer. Yeah. No, you, you were like, you nailed it. That was spot on. By looking at the poster, did... Do you feel like after seeing the movie, you guessed what was, you know, who the characters were, the posture? Did anything surprise you about it looking at it now? I thought Edward Norton, I I totally, I don't know. When I saw that he was in the poster, I was very aware of the fact that he was in the movie. And I did not expect that he would be, it would take him so long to be like, become a part of the movie. Yeah. Um, he's the last main character to be introduced. Which makes sense, in a way, because he's this, like, mysterious box-sending, you know, billionaire, Mm. like, you know, brainy kid, whatever, that, like, he would be the last one to kind of be introduced to the fray because there's so much mystery surrounding him in the lead-up to the reveal of, like, what the plot is going to be. Um, I don't... What else is he in? He's in tons of stuff. He's in all of the... um... Wes Anderson movies. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. He is in... Like, have you seen Moonrise Kingdom? He's in that. Yeah, so long ago. He's the main character in Fight Club. Oh, okay. See, I've never seen Fight Club. He's in Birdman. Uh-huh. Never seen that. Uh, my August, who's also been on the podcast, really loves the director of Birdman and was trying to get me to watch a movie of his uh, tonight. Oh, my God. He's in Sausage Party. <laughs> That's a real left turn. 
He's he's like a big and Frida stadia. the dictator. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, who is he in the dictator? I haven't seen that movie actually. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. Like, oh, he was in this movie, um, American History X, where he played a neo-Nazi. Okay, you know he's got he's got breadth. Yeah, he's just like easily hateable. No, I don't. I mean, yes, he does play like kind of annoying characters. Now that I think about it. Mm-hmm. But I feel like he kind of kills every role that he's in. Like, I can't think of, of a bad performance by him, even though he's not, like, a super A-list actor. So one of the questions I had written down for you is, like, who IRL does Miles, the character that he plays, remind you of? Because mm. I feel like they drew from so many kind of, like, fuckboy billionaires. Yeah. <laughs> or, like, internet personalities. So his character... Maybe before we go into the specifics, maybe we should just do like a, a little overview of like overall opinions and not try and spoil stuff. Okay. Um, oh, this is an anti-spoiler podcast. We have like a spoiler wall. Yeah, a spoiler wall. So okay. like we, we do like general opinions, spoiler wall, tell people whether they should actually stop the podcast and go see it or uh-huh. if they should just keep listening uh-huh. and then continue podcasting and talk about specifics. Okay. This is a murder mystery, like Knives Out 1. Um, go see Knives Out 1. So good. It doesn't matter if you see this one, in my opinion, but go see go see that one. I agree. I think it's one of the best films of the past 10 years. <laughs> is that <laughs> crazy to say? Yes, that's crazy to say. I, I, it's a really I, good movie. I love that movie. I it's love an awesome it. movie. I, but I'm very partial to like m- murder mystery film noir style. Especially if you if you like the murder mystery genre, it does a really good job of engaging with the tropes in that genre that hasn't really been alive for like thirty years. Yeah, um, it's very evocative of of past eras. Yeah, and subverting those tropes actually, it's just a really really lovely movie that is very easy to rewatch. If you know anybody who has seen the movie, ask them if they want to rewatch it with you, and they'll say yes. Mm-hmm. Um, That's true. I would rewatch it right now. Me too. <laughs> and I've seen it like four times. Mm-hmm. This, this like that is a murder mystery. This one, I don't watch it if you haven't seen the first one. Yeah, you're gonna need I, the only character that is in common is Detective Benoit Blanc, um, who's played by Daniel Craig, who does an okay job at the, his chosen accent. <laughs> um, yeah. He's um, having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, I think that he's enjoying it a lot. Um, he doesn't suck at it, but he's not... It, it's He's trying to do like a Louisiana, New Orleans Southern, um, which I think is, is very difficult, especially for English people such as himself <laughs> to do. But he's the only character that is the commonality, but I think watching the first movie is really important to like provide basis to his character. Because as we'll talk about a little bit later, I guess, like his affability in like the first fifteen to twenty minutes of the film didn't make any sense. I was like, I know this character. Why is he like so turned around and mixed up? And then we get like the reveal of mm. of you know the the first twist of what the actual behind the scenes in the in the drama of the movie is and why he's acting that way. Mm. Um, but I think having seen it before, it it created like an air around him and like kind of explained his popularity or like knownness to the other characters in the movie totally i'm in the position of saying that i i don't i don't know if this is a movie that i would say you have to go see but it's also a movie that i think you should probably see before you listen to it because any enjoyment that you will get out of the movie is going to get kind of cut up if you listen to the podcast before you before you watch it yeah cut up like an onion cut up like just like an onion Mm -hmm. yeah i i i would agree i think i'm glad that we saw it like we were excited about it it wasn't bad no it wasn't it it was good um it just you know like many sequels doesn't ever rise up to its predecessor yeah so what i'm saying is go see knives out one yeah um and after that make your own decision as to whether you want to listen to the podcast and also, maybe you don't. You definitely don't have to see Glass Onion in theaters. No, it's also it's coming out on Netflix in December. Yeah, like December December twenty third. Twenty third. Yeah, so you can wait and you can watch it on Christmas. There you go. 
Yeah. Okay, spoiler wall is coming down, so now we are fully spoiling the rest of the movie. Um, yes. Who did the murder? Who did the murder? Okay, well, there was a few attempted murders and then two actual murders. So the, 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 the murder that spurred this whole situation of Andy was done by the dipshit bad guy with Miles. Miles. Miles, the, who is, was the impetus for bringing up the spoiler wall in the first place. Yes. And then the murder of hulking, meninist, weird guy, Duke, also from Miles. Oh, he killed both of them. He killed both of them. Were there any other deaths? Um, no. There were, there were deaths that weren't actually deaths. Yeah, like, he also tried to shoot Helen. Helen. Which is uh, Andy's twin sister, who was impersonating Andy for the purpose of, um, I don't know, revenge, extortion. Not extortion, but... Justice. Yeah. Big... Honestly... Janelle Monet eight in that movie. She she if you go see that movie, which I hope by this point you have if you've listened beyond the spoiler wall, like she makes the whole film, mm-hmm. and her funny back and forth with Daniel Craig is chef's kiss. So it's it is a joy. It's really perfect. She must have had so much fun doing this. I I always feel that way about any actor who gets in a role that's like you're playing two versions of the same character, which mm-hmm. she does because she plays two twins. Um, the characters that she plays are so different, totally opposite. Uh, I think she, it just looked like she was having a lot of fun and killing both of the roles separately. Oh, such good use of the word killing. Um, (laughs) yeah, I mean, her playing Helen with that like Southern accent Mm. that is a lot more like, um, like South Carolinian. I'm sure that in the movie they actually say where they're from, but I just don't remember. Um, like she is loving it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, she she did really excellent. So that's who did the murders. It was really just Miles the whole time, the like sniveling like idiot who's riding on the coattails of all of like the great black women before him and then like a genius detectives and everything. I mean, it was it was really just like a story about a like hapless white guy stealing the labor of a black woman. Yeah. I think that that, that was something that I thought the first movie engaged with really well because that was sort of the reveal at the end of the movie um was how i in the first movie um the reveal at the end is like all of these all of the members of the family uh who appear to be like progressive or like mm-hmm. on the side of the main character who's played by Anna Dermas um are in fact at the end of the day loyal to like maintaining this legacy that they're all uh, a part of just basically taking inheritance money from their grandfather. Um, and I think that, that that made the the reveal at the end very biting and like a more punchy social commentary. Whereas this movie starts out already sort of uh, engaging with the fact that all of the main characters are hypocrites. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very silly. This is a much more silly movie than absolutely. the first one. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that the like the pointing out of hypocrisy in this movie is so much more on the nose and almost clownish mm-hmm. than in the first movie where it's actually like darkly relatable. Yeah, like the um one of the first scenes is what's her name? Andy? Not Andy. Her. Claire? Is her name Claire? The the um played by Catherine Hahn, the yeah, Catherine Hunt. Yeah, Claire. The politician. The the governor. That's who I'm talking about. Oh, no, I'm thinking of Bertie. Oh, Bertie. Played by Kate Hudson. But Played by Kate Hudson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Bertie is hosting this, like, gigantic party. Oh, God, yeah. It's it's so funny. Um, and the one thing... Oh, one thing I didn't mention that I wish I had mentioned in the, um, in the outline portion was that this movie is, like, actually explicitly set during the pandemic oh god yeah i haven't i I, i've seen a lot of discourse about whether movies ought to like acknowledge the fact that there was a pandemic that happened and whether that's something that people want to see um i thought that this movie engaged with that hilariously yeah me too she's hosting this gigantic party in the middle of the pandemic uh (laughs) 
and and, it, and they they tell you it's like the like hover text over the first scene is like um, May twenty twenty, <laughs> so it's like freshly pandemic. There's no vaccine. Yeah, I didn't even really catch wind of the fact that she was holding a party during that time. It really like her particular stance on the pandemic came when like they all are rolling up to like the the yacht side dock. Um, in Greece, and her mask is just—it's just this like bejeweled um, mesh that yeah. like covers her her face, but not really. And it made me think about like all those like early move or videos and photos of like makeshift masks that people would make, but not like in earnestness. In the like, they had to make a mask that they would like cut down the middle because they couldn't like it was hard for them to like breathe or whatever, and like people would use like old socks or just get like the craziest things yeah i've seen people wearing those like it's like there's a maybe half inch hole between every strand of the mask yeah it's like a it's it's the loosest possible mesh it's like a fishing net yeah yes and that's exactly what she was wearing yeah um i thought that was hilarious and that said so much about her character in a way that um was very relatable and i've never seen depicted in a movie before yeah i was gonna say did do you, did it did she remind you of, of people that you know or somebody nobody that i know yeah but definitely people that i've seen like in public um yeah her approach to the pandemic definitely reminded me of some people that i know <laughs> yeah 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 uh david batista's character as well he's introduced um oh, what's his his name his name is duke mm-hmm. um he's introduced oh god and he's like he's someone that like you should be reminded of like on the internet right yeah it's very merciless this movie like introducing his character too like it introduces him and he's hosting a a twitch stream where he's talking about how like liberals don't like boobs. attractive women yeah. yeah liberals don't like boobs um <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then his mom like calls him cuz he's living in her basement She's, like, telling him to do his laundry or whatever. Yeah, she, like, she, like, fucking washed him. Was like, here, your laundry's ready. And he's like, mom, what, blah, blah, blah. And, like, she smacks him. She's like, why are you talking to me like that? <laughs> like, it was, it was absolutely, like, every story that we've heard about alt-right basement dwellers. Yeah. It was funny. It was just, there was no build-up to the joke. It felt like a very cheap joke early on in the movie not that not that it, there had to be like something greater but it was it was very goofy in a way that i didn't expect and whiskey being there too oh yeah his girlfriend who was she played by i almost wrote that down she's not in the imdb credits That's... she should be she was in is it madeline klein yeah, yeah. madeline klein mm-hmm. there we go mm-hmm. yeah yeah whiskey she was interesting she I'm so curious, like, th- so I wrote down, and this is something I mentioned to you after we watched it, that I wish that, like, some of the more side characters had a bit more depth to them in the plot, because mm-hmm. I felt like Whiskey, Peg, and then that weird guy that's just hanging out on yeah. the island, <laughs> like, I wish that they had had, like, some twist or, like, some involvement, like, some depth, but they really didn't, especially Peg. Like, Whiskey had a little bit because of her, like, twist of her plot for sex, which we thought she was cheating on Duke with Miles. But it turns out she was actually working with Duke to seduce Miles to, like, get Duke's program to be on Miles' show, like, um, his channel or whatever. Um, So that was, like, a bit of a depth to her personality. And she had ended up having, like, a whole conversation with um, Janelle Monae's character, about like you know what she was hoping for in life and how you know her involvement with duke was really just like a means to an end and like she doesn't really want her whole personality to be known as like basically like the busty girl that is like you know validating the misogynist shit that her like bulked out boyfriend is talking about Mm. um but i felt like peg which is um birdie's assistant for what 12 years she said 10 years i didn't even catch that yeah i really felt for her and i felt like she could have had a lot more like exploration into her character at least like some extra element brought in yeah i feel that way for a lot of the characters even like when they do have a story like in the case of like in the case of um whiskey and they have like actual character depth it feels kind of tangential to the actual plot like developments that are happening 
like when I think about other murder mysteries, all of the character, like all of the traits about the characters are important or relevant in some way to their interactions with all the other characters and influence like their capacity to be part of the murder. Mm-hmm. Just like Clue. That's yeah, what just I like think Clue. Of. Or or Mur- Murder on the Orient Express. Mm-hmm. Um, like murder all on the, the Nile. Porn. Yeah, Death on the Nile. Death on the Nile, yeah. Yeah. Like all of them have these characters who are both very complicated and have complicated motivations and also have the capacity to be like part of the murder. But I don't think there was any sort of sitting and stewing on who could have done the murder in this movie any of the murders um, in the way that there are in other murder mysteries. Like the plot yeah. just go- keeps going. Yeah. The one thing that I think they did a really good job of is, I mean, I did have like a jump scare when um, Janelle Monet's character, who we thought at the time was Andy, was shot in the dark, you know, right next to Daniel Craig. And that's where like the big twist comes in and we like reverse back and it's, it's actually Helen saying, I want to avenge my sister's death. Nobody knows that she's dead. Um, did you feel like there were any kind of like weird plot holes or like um, poorly explained or unexplained aspects to this film? Not that I saw. One that made me kind of like go, hmm, was when Duke is like on his phone, it's in the living room and it's right before he drinks the the um it's not even poisoned it's literally just with pineapple in it which is what he's like deathly allergic to Mm -hmm. the drink that miles gives him knowing that it will it will kill him Mm -hmm. he sees on his phone that andy has died and he doesn't have a normal reaction no he like turns to miles and is like it continues the conversation that they had just been having about his like show being on on miles's network as and like started speaking about like Andy's death in euphemism to that, mm-hmm. and I was like, that doesn't make any fucking sense because you think that the woman that Janelle Monae is is Andy right now, and it's not; it's her twin sister. But like, that doesn't like you didn't know she was dead before, you had no idea that like she had been missing. Like, you didn't know that Miles was involved in anything, and it felt weird to me that his reaction would be so understated about the magnitude of her death sudden death and then also like immediately turning to like excitement about like what it could mean for his like financial opportunities with miles it just seemed like completely unaligned with like what a actual reaction from even his character would be do you think he thought the news reporting was like wrong it's like false no like yeah. Oh, this could be really good for us if everyone else thinks she's dead, but she's and then not actually. Like, I I report that she's actually alive, and then we get her on the show or something. I I mean that's I, too yeah. I don't. I think that that's too advanced. I like. I appreciate the like trying to find ways around it, but I think that that's yeah. I agree. It would have been, because, Blanc like lays out that he saw the deaths, whatever, and found that like interesting. Like he, he walks through all the things that we didn't see. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't he doesn't explain why he says that yeah yeah it's really it's a strange reaction um but other than that i love when blanc completely foils miles planned murder mystery (laughs) um off the bat incredibly well and i mean really i was thrown off by like blanc's portrayal of himself as like this bumbling idiot that like accidentally got invited and blah 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 and had no idea why he was there and like fawning over everything when in reality he orchestrated a lot of that himself Mm. with helen yeah he orchestrated that with helen yeah oh the the whole i'm gonna go up to the glass onion and distract him and you're gonna start snooping around for details and you're gonna bring me the box that you have destroyed with the (laughs) hammer which was so good oh and that was actually a continuity thing that i thought was really good Mm -hmm. was that Helen and Andy's fingernail colors were different in the scenes that we saw of them both within, like, the first 15 minutes of the movie. And I pointed that out to you, not knowing that they were actually different people until the reveal came later. We never see Andy alive in the entire movie. Yeah, we do. When? When they have the, like, flashbacks to, like, them becoming friends at the bar and, like, her writing, like, and also her 
running their company starts with an A. I don't remember what it's called. Alpha. Alpha. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's in there. Yeah. Yeah, true. Who do you think Miles reminds you of? I'm thinking about Alpha. Alpha is the name of the pa- Alpha is the name of the parent company for Google, by the way. Yeah. Alphabet. Is it? It's called Alphabet Group. Hmm. Yeah. I wonder if that's on purpose. It probably it, Alpha sounds like a tech company. So I'm not I'm not like too deep into like who like the tech bros are, right? But like for the for the people that I do know, I feel like Miles is like if Mark Zuckerberg was an idiot. He's like Elon Musk. Yeah, but isn't Elon Musk like does isn't he actually like smart? No. He's not? No. So like you know how he's like I founded Tesla. He didn't found Tesla. He he bought Tesla after it had already gotten kind of big and then saw it to like getting kind of bigger. He he makes a lot of his money off of contracts where he overpromises. Um so for example like the the boring company which the like that's a real name. Yeah, it's called Bore B O R E. Oh, okay. Like um he it's for like drilling in the ground and building high speed rail. Okay. But actually it's just it's just a like moving walkway for Teslas. Oh. Um but okay. he got this big contract from California where he said like he was going to build the Hyperloop in California. And so they stopped developing like a California railway system. Uh and the Hyperloop has not been built yet. I don't think that Elon Musk actually has like a huge technical capability. Maybe he did when he was developing PayPal. Um, he developed PayPal? He was, yeah, that's how he got, he, well, he got super rich because his parents are rich, but also he made a ton of money because he was one of the original developers on PayPal. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, see, I, there's not a lot of, like, tech info that I am, like, aware of. I mean, I I could be wrong on, I'm, no, I know that he, that's where he got his money. I don't actually know what technical capacity he worked in for PayPal. But, but yeah. yeah, a lot of it is, like, get, sending crazy ideas to people who work for him and then them trying to divine what he actually means by that. Yeah. <laughs> Which is exactly what Miles does to the other character played by Leslie Odom Jr. Yeah. What, what is his name? Lionel. Lionel. Yeah. 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 Who is actually smart and like the chemist or whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, and we didn't even talk about like the whole purpose of like this, this like huge controversy and, and the underlying conflict was because of this like new fuel source Mm -hmm. that alpha was trying to promote as like safe to use for at home like basically um like solar solar powering your house but with this like little hydrogen like crystal (laughs) that um would basically hindenburg any house because hydrogen gas is extremely 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 small particles um, that can escape a lot of filtration systems and turn your house into, um, yeah, the, a, a flammable object. Yeah. Move fast and break things. Move fast and break things. Which is exactly what Helen does at the very end when she is just smashing. Oh, it's such a great moment. I was kind of wondering, like, how she was going to get all these cowards and, like, money mongers to, to turn to her side when she couldn't appeal to their morals in her, her kind of stand against Miles. But really it was just like the physical badassness and like symbolism of her breaking every precious item in that mansion mm-hmm. and then throwing the power source that Blanc had given her into this fire. But I did kind of wonder how they survived that. Yeah, the ending didn't hit for me. How did you feel about the uh, Mona Lisa? I it did. I didn't feel anything. It didn't feel um, cathartic. The way that like murder mysteries often feel at the end when like, the reveal happens. It felt very messy. Yeah, like it didn't feel as though. There was a huge turn. I guess the 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 closest thing to that was when everyone else turned on him. And was like, I, or they started lying to support who they knew was actually right in the first place, which was the, the late Cassandra. Um, but they weren't even lying. They were telling the truth. Like, I saw him burn the old note. I saw the original note. Because I think they did all see the original note because they were all at the bar together when she wrote it. Yeah, but they didn't. I mean, maybe. Yeah. 
one of them was definitely lying. Um, Leslie Odom Jr.'s character said that he saw, what's his name, uh, Miles oh, driving away. Yeah, from, when it was actually it um, Duke was... who saw him, but Duke was dead at this point. In which case, I feel like that's fine. You know, that's a just... I, I'm not bothered by it. Yeah. It just felt like, like she ended up winning for what reason? Like, what, what made everybody switch sides? Because they all denied her. Yeah, I mean, they they would be literally saying that they committed perjury. Yeah. <laughs> in a huge trial, so... Especially for the politician, the governor. I'm I'm so, like... I don't know. Catherine Hahn is so brilliant in, like, every role that she has. Mm-hmm. Does she play Edie in We're the Millers? I think she does. I haven't seen We're the Millers. Oh, yeah, it's on our watch list, because it is <laughs> one of my favorite movies. It is so fucking funny. Mm-hmm. Um... I think that she does. If not, then the person that... Oh, yeah, she's there. I see her on the Where the Millers on the yeah. left. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She is so good. She is such a versatile actress. Um, and her character was exactly like how you would imagine a middle-aged woman who's like a, a, a powerhouse politician trying to navigate um, what I imagine is a semi-conservative base uh, during the pandemic. Yeah. What did you think of like the last line about his name being in the same sentence as the Mona Lisa? That was funny. Yeah. Yeah, because they had set that up twice. And then it got, it sort of got revealed. I, yeah, I thought that was hilarious. Um, I thought the actual painting was a bit gimmicky. The fact that the Mona Lisa burned down in his house. Yeah. I was like, that seems a bit much. I, I kept thinking, like, how are, for, like, forensic reporter investigators are going to see that all of these glass things were broken. And then all of the, like, all of them are going to have to, <laughs> like, tell the version. get their stories right, right. with each other so uh, that they're lying the same way. Yeah. So that she doesn't end up getting put in jail for burning for like burning the building down mm-hmm. and that it really took me out of it actually that's a really good it didn't take me out of it but i think it's because like so many of these movies end with just like the sirens coming towards the bad guy or bad guys and like just the assumption of justice being carried out after that and and i just have I'm I'm just so used to that by now that I just I I continue to suspend the temporary suspension of disbelief, right? Like I continue to do that even though I know in the back of my mind like having studied the law, like there's there's a whole other journey to come after that to like actually adjudicate these, you know, actions. Yeah. I can definitely see that taking taking you out though. I like the idea of the forensic <laughs> investigators being like what happened (laughs) why is there all this glass on the floor right but maybe the explosion would have covered up just so much i mean they all survived yeah maybe for some who knows how that yeah yeah a bit gimmicky who pressed the button that like made the the door thing go down Mm -hmm. on the mona lisa on the mona lisa I wonder what, like, what was, I don't remember his name. The guy who was just, like, hanging out on the island because he's going through a hard time, quote-unquote. Like, what did he think was going on? Wasn't he, he was out smoking with, with Blanc. Oh, yeah. In the, in the garden. <laughs> this is a no-smoking garden. It was a, it was a, um, it was a Big Lebowski reference. Was it? He goes, fucking A, man. Oh. That's, and he was wearing the, like, Big Lebowski shawl. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've seen it once. It's one of my best friend's favorite movies. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of references in this movie. It was it was an intelligent movie and also not. The plot I don't think was like the most intelligent by any measure, but the the small quips I think were like highly educated in like at least, you know, film and like pop culture. Yeah. There was a um Serena Williams Oh yeah! Oh my God! We didn't even talk about her, her cameo. <laughs> she, she's like, constantly, on live for like, a period of time, like in the the workout room, and she's reading Gravity's Rainbow, um, which was a, 
which was like a metaphor that was used in the first movie. Yeah, that was such a smart catch by you. I just thought that was so like funny that that's what it was. Yeah. Also, um, uh, Helen, when she's first talking with Blanc, um, is drinking from a mug that has the Janus Films logo on it. Oh, yeah, and you, you leaned over to me and you said, that's this... this... Uh, yeah, they're like a really famous production company. I don't think that they actually produced the original film because they, they only produce like huge, huge hits. Um, Did they produce this one? I can't imagine they would produce this one. Well, wait, then why would, why would your production company who's producing this want to have a Janus Films mug? Do you think on set they just needed a mug and they were like, what do we have lying around in the studio? Oh, we found this old Janus Films mug. They're really, like, they're very revered. They make good movies. Are they trying to bait them for the third movie? <laughs> like, we already have you in here. Uh, you're in our universe. They, yeah, they, they're very, like, closely connected to, it's probably, like, to, like, Criterion. Like, I'm sure that there are lots of, like, film bros who have, who have Janus Films mugs but yeah i thought that website is highly stylized it looks like a blog (laughs) a lot of french movies oh my god the (laughs) left turn (gasps) they produced eo sorry oh which i'm gonna see on saturday yeah wow okay excellent um birdie her controversy being that she didn't understand (laughs) (laughs) that a sweatshop is like basically forced labor, forced labor, human trafficking, slavery operations, and not a factory. Can, factory that thank produces you. sweat pants. Yes, yes. <laughs> that was really funny. And that's where I'm like, Peg, this is such, I mean, Peg had so many good comedy moments, mm. but she, oh gosh, I feel like maybe in the original writing, she had more of like an active plot role. Yeah. And they just had to cut it. I always wonder about that with a lot of these films. I, I see, like, kind of gaps in either character-wise or plot-wise. I'm like, I know that so much is on the cutting room floor. This felt like there could be more. Yeah. This Yeah. Oh, and it was already long. Was underdeveloped. It was and like, it was long. Two hours and 20, 20 minutes. minutes. It was long already. I blame the, the time travel in the middle. I felt like that could have been trimmed down a little bit. Yeah. I just, I, I have such a hard time imagining all of them so quickly turning on Andy. Yeah. Like, for how much, like, she was the center of their friend group. I tried to, like, put myself in that. It didn't work. I just couldn't imagine the, like, desire for money and power to so overcome a friend group that way. I mean, it sounds silly saying it out loud. Like, so many people have done that. But, like, really trying to think about it in my own life. I don't know. It was difficult. Yeah, it required a lot of, like, suspension of disbelief. I just feel like the movie wanted more than it could have given took too big of a bite out of the onion yeah exactly yeah what do you think is like your big takeaway from this film after seeing it i don't i don't want to see a third one (laughs) i i but i do because i i want it so i want so much for it to be to be better and different i'm very curious about like the continuing plot lines and i love series like this like i i love agatha christie um, not as a person, but as a writer. Um, I've been watching like the Anola Holmes movies. Like I, I enjoy the reimaginings of a central detective character and like all of the, you know, shenanigans they find themselves in. And Daniel Craig is just he's good, you know. He's yeah. just he's good and he's fun. Um I do I wanna see it for the hope of a better plot. I would love to see more murder mysteries. In general. In general. I think they're coming because we've now had Murder on the Orient Express and Death on the Nile and Knives Out 1 and Knives Out 2. And there's probably a few more that I'm forgetting. But yeah. those are all like in the past five years. And see how they run. Was oh, yeah. Answer. See how they run. Which yeah. I still need to see. Right? No. we. Oh, yeah. We, we saw that together and we missed the first 10 minutes. Yes. Yeah. We need to see all together. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think it's on streaming now. Saoirse Ronan. Yeah. Can't beat that. I would rewatch it. I really like that. We should rewatch it because we missed like yeah. the entire inciting incident. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Do um, you have uh recommendations? We have well first we have to we have to rate it. 
Oh, we have to rate it. And okay. also, oh, I forgot to mention, um, Hugh Grant has a cameo in this movie. Oh, he does. Yeah. yeah. Okay, what do you think that situation is? He, he, they're... They're together? They're gay. I would love for that to be, like, the case. It's 100% true. Oh, that makes Hugh me Grant, happy. Hugh Grant, he's, he's solely... He's very gay. A nice southern gentleman with a nice British artist. Exactly. A southern gentleman detective. Blanc, there's someone here for you. Um, but would you refer to your your like a, life partner by their last name? It's a term of endearment. To just call them by their last name? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I refuse to be convinced otherwise. All right. <laughs> he was in a really good TV show called A Very English Scandal that was like based on a real thing um, about like a member of parliament who was caught in a like gay mm-hmm. scandal mm-hmm. um anyway it's nice to see his face always. it was it all it's, it's always such look at him he's just steel blue steel <laughs> <laughs> even now i'm excited to watch love actually as the holidays come upon us not me you don't like that movie no i don't i understand a lot of people don't i do i have a nostalgia attached to it do you have a rating for this movie yeah, it's it's like it's it's a, like a three point two five for me. If you had to round that, round that to up or down, yeah, three. I originally rated a three point five, and like most movies, like five days afterwards, I'm like, <laughs> I rated that half a star too high. <laughs> um, I think I think also it's a three. You're it doesn't, matching my three. It doesn't sit with me the way that I expected it to. I. It was good in some ways and fell short. Fell short. I, like I just, I didn't. It didn't give me what I was hoping for out of it. If you have any opinions that are different from ours, uh, please contact us at Dillweed Society on Instagram. We would love to hear your opinion, and maybe you can come on and talk about it on the podcast. We're going to cut up for a break here for ads. Have you ever wanted to be able to nominate or vote in ceremonies like the Oscars or the Emmys? Have you ever loved to feature so much only for it to be swept under the rug? Well, worry no more because we at the Dillweed Society host a non-exclusive movie award ceremony each year in February. And if you apply to become associate, you can nominate any movie you like and vote on the collective nominations. It's completely free. It takes two seconds. Just visit apply.dillweedsociety.com and we will send you all the active information. You can also browse our website, dillweedsociety.com and see our archive. And there's a bunch of other cool stuff there. Email us at dillweedsociety at gmail.com if you have any complications or questions. All right, that's my spiel. Back to the show. And we're back. So <laughs> in the fun half, the second half, we are going to uh, very briefly talk about some recommendations for movies, video essays, TV shows, anything that's come out this year that you should be watching Um do you want to say your recommendation first, Megan? Sure. Yeah. So my recommendation is um, the TV series for all mankind. Season three came out this year, but to be honest, it's not really a, a season that you can watch on its own. So it's it's really a recommendation for the whole series that I am anchoring to the fact that the most recent season came out this year. Are you familiar with the show? No. What is the show? It is like one of my favorite shows. Um, and I don't watch a lot of like contemporary shows. Most of the shows that I watch came out in like the nineties. Um, and I just rewatch them wherever they happen to be. Um, so this is on Apple plus and it is in its third season. And the premise of the entire show beginning with season one is a thought experiment. It's, it's historical fiction on what if Russia had beat the United States to the moon Mm. and how would that have changed, um, not only kind of the trajectory of space exploration, but also like the history of the world, because so much of United States dominance was propelled in many ways by our insistence on the space race and Russia matching us to that race. Um, you know, they beat us to space. Yeah, to every single milestone, except for the, the fraudulent moon landing. The, right, that never happened. Mm-hmm. I actually get, like, upset with people like that. <laughs> I, Why has no one else ever landed on the moon? I have a soft spot for space and NASA and space law and... Maybe in like the second half of my career, I'll transition and do space law because I think it's <laughs> it's like my secret passion. <laughs> um, but uh, anyways, I love this series because it is it is so 
poignant and the commentary is just excellent in the way that they weave the ideas of how our country could have developed differently, especially in comparison to the rest of the world. And it's from the perspective of, of NASA space, you know, astronauts. Um, and every season fast forwards about 15 years. So um, hopefully season four um, should actually be pretty contemporary day. Um, season one started in the 60s. So and then the season two was in the 80s. Season three was in the 90s. So we should be getting up to where we are now in season four. Really, really excellent um, high drama. Cool. I've never heard of that. I'm really excited. Um, Apple TV has a bunch of recommendations from the Dillies this year. Their TV shows have been really good lately. Yeah, I, I have really haven't found a lot of contemporary shows that I actually feel invested in. I cried at the first season of this. So yeah, it, it really hooked me in. I gotta watch that. What about you? Uh, I'd like to recommend the video essay Roblox underscore oof dot mp3. Um, what a title. It's a two-hour video essay about this video game audio engineer um, named Tommy Tallarico, who has built like a mountain of lies around his own persona and is in mm-hmm. so deep in lying about like the things that he has done allegedly, that he can't get out anymore. And it's sort of like a deep dive into his life and the actual things that he did do and the things that he didn't do. He has one legitimate uh, Guinness World Record, but he claims to have seven, and that involves three that are duplicates, one that is manufactured, and one that, and like two that are just incorrectly assigned to him that there was no research about whether he actually did the things that he did um, for those. But that's just like one example of this two-hour video exploring the life of this person who claimed to have been on MTV Cribs when he never was. These are all like easily traceable and debunkable lies. Yes, but nobody... He says that he was the the first American to ever work on the Sonic series. Um, Not true at all. Um, he worked on Sonic 3, which was in the 2000s, I think. Um, it's a hilarious video. It's like, it's like unwinding an onion. And it really fits with the theme today, doesn't it? Yes, it does. An onion, I don't think that there's any onion theme to For All Mankind. But hey, give it a watch. Let me know if you find one. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the podcast. It was a pleasure to have you. As always, get at us on all of our socials. Go to dillweedsociety.com, Dillweed Society on Instagram, Dillweed Society on TikTok, and get in contact. Uh, if you're interested in joining, go to apply.dillweedsociety.com. And yeah, submit movies because now we're in the movie submission part of the season. Have a good rest of your day. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. 